Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. This is our first episode in September, a time of year that I absolutely love. It feels like after a summer of fun, freedom, a lack of routine, a bit of chaos, maybe a little bit too much indulgence, and definitely in my experience this summer, it feels like the right time to pause, to take a breath and to refocus. It's back to school, it's back to work, it's energy, and I absolutely love it. It's also a good time to consider with five months left of the year, which things you'd maybe like to conclude or or maybe change before the end of this year. As always, the aim of this podcast is to motivate, to encourage you, the listeners. I want you to learn from all the incredible people that I get to talk to on this show and to implement positive changes into your career, relationships, finances, health, every other aspect of your life. So with that in mind, I couldn't think of a better guest to kickstart September to help us all get our mindset into a place that is positive, curious, more confident and ready to take action. So welcome to the podcast, Berthold Gunster. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'm so glad you could join us. Where are you based today? I'm based in Utrecht in Holland. And uh, actually in Holland, we would say Berthold Gunster, but you wouldn't be able to pronounce this. But uh, it's uh, nice to be be with you and um, I'm uh, looking forward to our conversation. Me too. So let's dive straight into my long list of questions. Mm -hmm. Your best-selling book, Flip Thinking, teaches the life-changing art of transforming problems into opportunities. So could you start, I suppose, by explaining the concept of flip thinking? Yeah, well, the essence is that you, uh, as soon as you are encountered with a problem, your tendency is to solve it. You know, you want to get, we want to get rid of problems. They feel like annoying things, uh, hindernesses, uh, things we want to get away. And uh, so the idea of omdenken or flip thinking, or it's called omdenken in Dutch, omdenken or flip thinking is that you can use a problem to flip it and to uh, change it into your advantage, to make a possibility out of it. So you don't solve it. Solving problems is something completely different from omdenken or flip thinking problems. And can you give us an example, like a common thing that people try, a problem that people often think, okay, I have to solve this instead of maybe looking for that opportunity? Right, let's start as simple as possible because making things simple is more difficult than making things difficult, which is actually quite simple in life to make things difficult. Well, the most simple uh, uh, um, um, example would be if it's raining, right? It's raining today, right? You could consider this as a problem and try to solve it by... Uh, taking an umbrella or stay inside and then you the, the rain doesn't bother you so the problem is solved nothing wrong with that in life to solve problems by the way but you could also do like children do and children are in a way more creative in dealing with problems like dance in the rain and when you dance in the rain then the rain is not a problem but an opportunity something you like something you desire so by flip thinking problems you don't want to get rid of them but you want more of the problem you desire the problem in a way and mm. do something with it, of course. Mm. And you mentioned children. I think 
I think there's some people, would you agree, who naturally have more of this optimistic tendency in life. So when they are, you know, you know those people, perhaps if you're in a group setting at work, there'll be people who, you know, they always look for problems. They always look for barriers. Yeah. They'll always raise their hand and say, oh, but we can't do it this. Oh, have you, you know, almost like I call them handbrakes, uh -huh. people who put the handbrake on everything. Yep. And then there's other people who will, I suppose, uh, not necessarily find solutions, but yeah, have more of a creative, you know, find different ways, find different routes. They'll give option A, B, C, right. D, E and keep going. And do you think that is something people can learn if it's not their natural tendency to, to think that way? Yeah, um, uh, I agree. But I think it would be better to say that they have to unlearn, unlearn the programs uh, that makes them stuck in reality instead of learning something new. Because I have the conviction that we all are born as children with the optimistic view in life that things are what they are and you can play with it, you can investigate them and you can make fun of, it, of, it, of them. So this is, I think, an inherent human uh, capacity we all have and it's buried under, by, uh, a lot of people have buried it under a layer of how things should be on how you should live or what is expected of you or what do you, or what you expect of yourself and all these limitations um, um, yeah, prevent you from being finding the child we all have in ourselves. So it's something you don't have to learn. It's more about unlearning things, I think. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. And in your book, you talk about the importance of asking trigger questions mm -hmm. to stimulate creative thinking. So could you talk to us about trigger questions and how they can lead us to a new perspective? Yeah, I think the... Uh, I call this the magical question of flip thinking, of omdenken. And the question would could be, uh, is the problem the intention? So is the problem I'm encountered with, I'm facing, is this problem, could this problem be the intention? Well, for the brain, this is an absurd question because how can a problem be the intention? You know, problem are things you want to get rid of. So by asking yourself this question, you stimulate yourself, you force yourself to investigate whether a problem could give you something and only by asking this you might say counterintuitive or counter instinctive question uh, new ways of thinking new paths of thinking might be opened so is the problem mm -hmm. the intention when i'm losing my hair as a man which you might consider as something annoying you don't want to lose hair right you want to stay young oh we all want to stay young we don't we but by asking yourself the question could losing my hair be the intention you might come up the idea as um, embracing being bold as your new fashion, you know, like Bruce Willis did, another, another very attractive man did. So they <laughs> embrace the problem of use, losing their hair and make something new out of it. I think as an entrepreneur, I'll be honest, I think my mindset, I'm quite, you know, I look for opportunities. As an entrepreneur, that is something I think I've always had innately within me. And recently I had a conversation with somebody um, who works in the corporate world and her her organization was making some people redundant and she had the option to choose to be made redundant and essentially, you know, receive a redundancy package. So receive some money and change her career. And she said that really she hasn't been enjoying her work that much, but she really wasn't sure about this decision. And the example that you just gave then is quite, almost like I was kind of talking it through with her and saying, well, you know, what, you know, is this an opportunity for you to actually start something new? And actually it's kind of presented itself because yeah, your your company's making people redundant. And actually it was still, she was in this limbo. And I think sometimes 
if the decision had been made for her, if, you know, if someone just came in and said, you've been made redundant, I know she would have, eventually she would have been like, okay, this is a good thing because now I want to change my career. I want to do something new. But because it wasn't made for her, she kind of went back and forth. And in the end, she said, oh, you know, I'm going to stay for a bit longer um, in her job. And as I say, because I'm an entrepreneur, of course, I always want to encourage and not everybody should be an entrepreneur. But I think sometimes when these so-called problems arise, it is in theory we can talk about it but when we actually have to make that decision and make oh this is a new opportunity it can be really difficult in to to, to action in real life right so do you what have a question would, on this or do you want me to react yeah on this? what advice would you i suppose have given to that friend or or to anyone who thinks yeah i know this sounds good a problem could be an opportunity mm. but when it's in my life and i'm I feel afraid stressed by it's, it. it's terrifying I, I, yeah i think uh, uh a question one might ask oneself um, a lot of times I think people experience a problem not because they don't know what they really want but because they really know what they really want so the problem is not what do I want but the problem is am I afraid or do I have the courage to take a decision so in your example your friend she really knows actually what she wants so the problem is not what she wants the problem is that she doesn't dare to, to make a decision. So what helps me to be brave and to take such a decision and to make it your own responsibility is uh, what a friend told me in life. Now and then you have to create a vacuum, a space where nothing happens and you don't know what might be. And the more vacuum you are able to create, uh, the more attraction you have to your environment because things go to vacuums. You know, this is what things tend to do. So only mm. if your friend allows herself to make a decision, step out of her job, and then really doesn't know what to do in that moment, then creativity can uh, uh, arise because in vacuums, things happen. And as long as your life is filled with a lot of things you have to do, you should do, you're overthinking things, then nothing creative can happen there. Yeah, yeah, I really like the idea of the vacuum. It's like the space, isn't it? The yeah. space to actually start something. The new. empty space. Yeah. An empty mm. space is a space full of opportunities, you might say. Yes, and, and also that you mentioned fear, because I think for many people, the modern world is, as you said, back to back, busy, 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 always full. And actually people have a fear of doing nothing, of having space where they say, I have nowhere to go. I don't have to be at this place at this time with this person, solitude being by themselves. I know some people, they really don't enjoy solitude and we've made our lives so busy. Yep. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting when you mention the space for creativity because we can't be creative when we're rushing from one no. thing to the next thing all no, day. No, we need sleep, day. we need rest, we need nothing. We, don't, we need not knowing what we want. We need time mm. to contemplate. Yeah. And you mentioned the idea of unlearning already, but could you talk to us about why unlearning is important, especially in, you know, a rapid changing world? There's so many things, I suppose, that we're being told to learn, you know, new technologies, new transportation, new, new, new updates, everything, you know, you've got to keep up to date. I hear people in the work that I do talking a lot about, you know, when an, when an industry is disrupted, say, for example, with an AI, a new tool, you have to be the first to learn it. You have to know everything. So I think it's very interesting to hear about how unlearning could also be important in the modern world. Yeah, because we we all get these programs, you know, convictions, ideas uh, on what we should be, on how life should be, on how things should go. And these things are fine as long as theory and practice are aligned with one another. 
But uh, as we are living, like you said, in a rapidly changing world, uh, theories very soon become old uh, or not working anymore. So you have to know what you know and you have to know what kind of expectations you have of yourself or the world that don't fit to the world anymore. So unlearning becomes more and more important as the world is changing so rapidly as it does. Because your old convictions, they, they are, they're sitting in the way. How do you think we could help someone who, let's say they're an older generation, maybe that's a parent, maybe that's a boss. I maybe that's someone I'm 64, right? So watch your okay, words, but you're, watch your words. But you're, yeah. but you're someone who I feel like... Oh, I feel so young. Oh, I feel so young. Yeah, yeah, and your energy and your mind and your open-mindedness, I suppose. So for somebody who maybe is... Yeah, working with someone who is uh, maybe it's a senior person at work, maybe it's someone in their family who, as you said, things change mm -hmm. and some things that used to work don't work anymore. Right. How can we, I suppose, help people to well, to come around to that thinking if they're resisting that? Right. It's very important to also state that a lot of young people have this old ways of thinking too, because they come, they they uh, leave school and they go to university. They think I have the assumption when I learn a lot, when I have my exams and diplomas then I will be successful. But this is a way of thinking. This might be true in a certain field of life, but it also might be untrue because is getting your exams and making degrees and um, studying, is this a way to success? And what is success? Do you really want success? Do you want a success to be famous, to be admired? Or do you want success to be loved? Well, if, if love is the intention of success, you can just find a friend and have a friend relationship, which is a shortcut to being loved. So what do you really want in life? And these are very simple questions to put, to ask, but often very difficult to answer. And I, I have the assumption that especially young people, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, looking for what is my life about and what should I be, stuck in these very old ways of thinking, old patterns of thinking, and they can only create their own life if they are able to break free out of these expectations. So I'm actually more concerned with the younger people stuck in old mm. patterns of thinking than the older people. Yeah. Mm. And okay, so I hear what you're saying. Yeah, younger people who might have been told, I guess that rhetoric that you described, you know, success is one thing, which means economic security. It means uh, maybe yeah, wealth status. It means having a certain job title, a certain house, a certain car. And I think a lot of young people are actually rebelling against that and actually thinking, no, you know, that that model of success no longer works, but they don't necessarily have a template to replace it with. So then I think when people feel yeah, lost, afraid, unsure, almost a bit angry as well, because it's like, okay, this template, you told me this was the template, that template no longer works, but now what am I supposed right. to do instead? And, right. and almost almost the opposite being told, you know, minimalism is in fashion now. And, you know, true success is just being content and not wanting the approval of others. And it sounds nice, but I think it's, again, not very tangible for people and, yeah, so for the for those young people who maybe feel like, well, actually, that old model of success doesn't work, what advice would you give to them to finding their own? Well, this is a, a very um, important core question everybody has to deal with. And I think what helps is to shift your attention from expectations to desires. And this is also in the flip thinking uh, theory, a very important uh, insight. Uh, there's a big difference between an expectation 
which deals with how things should be, and a desire, which deals with how with what you want to experience. And we have thousands of expectations about everything, ourselves, our parents, our children, our family, uh, our, our company we work for, uh, clients. We have all kinds of expectations. That's fine because this is how life works, you know. You have expectations about people being polite, and, and that's the right expectations to have. To expectations you have nothing wrong with that. But if you're only looking on the expectations you have in life, how things should be, uh, you're missing the point that life, to my um, conviction, is not about expectations, it's about desires. And the world of desires is um, um, very simple. We all desire, to my conviction, three things, which is uh, uh, commitment, to feel related to somebody else, uh, connection, yeah, connection, uh, autonomy, that we can make our own uh, decisions, that we are autonomous people, and competence, which is what Richard Ryan and Edward D.C., the two psychologists, also state. Uh, what drives people? What do people really want? And as soon as you are able to shift your focus from your expectations, how life should be, or what you have to do, to your desires, what do I want to experience in life, life in a way becomes very simple because what we all desire is connection with other people, being autonomous and being competent. Well, this raises, of course, new questions because how can you realize uh, commitment? How, uh, um, how can you realize autonomy? Uh, but as soon as you know that these are the things that really drive you, that really motivate you, um, then you can be more creative about your expectations because you let go of a lot of expectations, make your world more simple and focus on what you really want. Mm. Yeah, I think the autonomy piece is really, really important. Oh, one. I is. think a lot yeah. of people, when they feel as though I'm doing this because I have to, not because I choose to, right. you know, I have to work in this place or maybe I can't afford to go and start a business and be freelance. You know, I think that for a lot of people is a frustration and it's not necessarily easily overcome. But I think as well, maybe, maybe you know, that's just a career example, but I think autonomy and again, going back to flip thinking, thinking about the things in your life which you do have autonomy over rather than the things that you don't. So even the small things like, for example, what you have for your breakfast in the morning, you know, if you have a nice coffee, if you go out for a walk, if you go out for a run, you know, I'm someone who I love to exercise in the morning. Mm -hmm. And that I think is something when people say to me, oh, but I don't have time, you know, I'd love to do that and I don't have time. And I mean, we'll talk about it later, but I think that part, the autonomy part, maybe people think they don't have autonomy when in fact there are some areas of their life where they do. Would you agree? Yeah, we do have a lot of autonomy, but you, um, before you can grasp the, the force you have, the autonomy you have, you have to be free in your mind not to live up to a lot of expectations uh, other people have from you, and you, especially you have for yourself, uh, because it's these expectations that um, make our life very, uh, you know, crowded, um, very uh, impossible, um, filled with a lot of things we actually if we examine them we really don't want um, in essence yeah. we think yeah. things make make us happy but if they don't just let go let go it's nice to have a lot of money but how much money do you need one million two million three million when when do you feel secure enough and what is security because in the end we will all die so how much security do we need so embracing the fact that things all come to an end that life comes to an end um, that life is not fair that um, uh, everything with the beginning has an ending. 
all these the all these things are very difficult for our brain to comprehend and to find peace with but as soon as we find peace with the 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 pain in life the difficult things in life the limitations in life if we don't fight these anymore then we are free mm. and this is in essence what omdenken is it, it, it's very i find it uh, important to state that omdenken is not about or flip thinking uh, as it is in, in, in dutch it's omdenken i've been talking about omdenken for 20 years so for me <laughs> thinking flip thinking is in a way a new word but this is how it is trans translated in the english book so the essence is flip thinking is not the same as optimism or positivity there's a big difference between the two omdenken always starts with the acceptance that you can't you can you cannot change a lot of things in life you know mm. so pain um, uh, mourning uh, disadvantages uh, limitations um, all belong to life pain is part of life and as long as you fight this you make things worse this is what i call stuck thinking making a disaster out of a problem so your own problem Your own attempt to solve the problem makes the problem worse. Like your car is stuck in mud, you put uh, you put your uh, uh, on the accelerator, you know, and the wheels go deeper and deeper into the mud. This is what a lot of people do. They solve, try to solve problems, but the solution makes the problem worse. So omdenken is not about um, optimism. It's about accepting the things you can change, and then look, find what can I do with the things that in, at first sight can be changed at all, like losing your hair, like the rain, you know. But all those mm -hmm. things are not in your advantage. You can investigate how can I do something with it, like an improv mm -hmm. actor, a, actor in a theater would do. Yeah. Well, this is a very timely message for me, but hold, so I'm going to write this down to one, to accept. Yeah. Like you said, accepting uh, some things you can't change. So important. And the other, yeah, and yeah. the other one, the expectations. When you said that, I thought, actually, I, I'm someone... I'll be very honest, I, I definitely have high expectations for myself and for others. And I think there's there's an upside to that sometimes, but there's definitely a downside to that. So yeah, there is. Bear, sure there yeah, is. And the interesting question is, do you have expectations about, you know, success or running marathons or whatever? Because you just like success and like marathons, that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But if and this is something we have to investigate for ourselves, if we think getting rich gives us more friends uh, if getting rich makes people admire us if if we are able to run a marathon marathon then we are really strong and we we are able to live here on earth because we are something then maybe maybe there's a negative motivator working all the time that actually you have to prove to yourself that you are allowed to live on this earth and to my opinion everybody is allowed to live on this earth because we live on this earth so why do we have to prove you may be here because you are already here, you know? Mm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. That's something that I definitely challenge myself to consider and to think about deeply. You know, I really have, especially over the last few years, because my thing was about, like some of the things you just mentioned about achievement. And I started to think, okay, you're always trying to achieve mm. something, whether it's, yeah, running a marathon, writing a book, starting a business, you know, buying a house. It's like achieve, 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 achieve. Mm -hmm. And in some sense, it's not, you know, I interviewed someone and we talked about perfectionism. And I think people sometimes think, okay, this driving thing to achieve and to, to, to appear to be always improving is almost like an external thing to show other people. Mm. But actually in my experience and what you just described, it was never actually, for me, it was never about anyone else. It was always about myself. Mm. And I think if you have, for whatever reason, 
grown up, you know, school, teachers, parents, thing, if you felt a lacking in yourself, it's not about wanting to be, if you felt a lacking in yourself, mm. then you're almost forever trying to prove to yourself, I can improve, I can be better, I can be more. And it's a real challenge because, you know, I, I enjoy doing the things that I enjoy, I do, and I wouldn't change it, but I do think about it deeply. I try to always be conscious of why are you doing this? Why are you signing up to another race? Why right. are you starting another challenge? Is it, yeah, I think deep down it probably comes from a feeling of less than, mm. and therefore when you achieve more, it yeah, it's a counter to that. Yeah, and I uh, I have a podcast in Holland too, and then I have a dialogue one-on-one -on -one with one person, um, uh, starting the conversation with his or her problem. And then we try to figure out how how is the problem constructed? And can we flip think the problem? Can we solve it? Can we let go of the problem? Or just have to observe, observe there is a problem and we can do nothing about it. We just have to live with the problem. So this is what I investigate with people in the podcast. I have, uh, I'm doing the podcast in English too uh, recently, but in Dutch for a long time. So what I have found out that behind a lot of problems, uh, superficial problems like with your children in, in bringing children up or with your career or uh, uh, being to, being overweight and having struggles with this. I, am, I, I encounter a lot of people with a lot of problems on a wide variety of, um, of things, you know. So, But what I have found out that uh, behind these superficial problems, often there is a negative self-image. Uh, for example, when you have this negative self-image, image, am I a good father? Maybe I'm not that good father as I want to be. If this is your self-image, I am not a good father. Then you start all kinds of actions to prove to yourself that you are a good father, like being very um, tough to your children and, um, and being consequent. And um, um, So if this is your motivator that you want to prove to the world and especially to yourself that you are a good father, if this is what you want, this negative self-image is constantly in the background running as an automatic program and you won't get rid of this automatic program unless you investigate in yourself what is my real motivator to do things do i just want to bring up my children as good as i can or am i proving to myself and the world but especially to myself that i am a good father because the last motivator is a bad motivator it's a it's, it's, it's an it's an attempt to convince yourself of the opposite of what you deeply think so the best thing mm -hmm. to do is to know what you think I'm a bad father. I, I doubt about myself. I'm not that nice a person. I think I'm dumb. Uh, whatever, whatever this negative self-image might be. And as soon as you dig into the ground and you find this negative self-image with what hurts, it hurts. It's like, uh, it's, it's like it feels like a knife in your back, you know, being uh, revealed. Uh, it feels like being revealed, like similar to the imposter syndrome. As soon mm -hmm. as you have found the this negative self-image, then you can make a joke about it, laugh about it, make fun of it, um, and then let go, just let go. Because you can't solve negative self-images. You can solve an idea of a negative identity. You, the only thing you can, you can do is let go. Mm. Sometimes as a parent, you're good. Sometimes you make mistakes, nothing wrong with that. So it's it's yeah. the essence of life to shift from what, what you want to do instead of who you who you want to be it's all about doing in life doing being just being there you are here and doing things in freedom and with creativity let's talk about something new so 
we live in an abundant world. We have abundance of choice, yeah. abundance of opportunity for fortunate, abundance of food, abundance of clothes, abundance more, more, more. There's so much. And I think, of course, there is some upside to that, but there's a lot of downside to that for a lot of people. And I think people are really struggling, whether it's decision-making, whether it's uh, relationship commitment, you know, diet, all these things, as you said, there's too much choice. Right. So I'm a big believer, and I know that you are too, in the power of constraints mm. and how limits, mm. when we limit our choices, we, we can make better decisions. Or when we limit the options available, it can really enhance our problem solving, our creativity. So yeah, I'd love it if you could explain to us uh, how setting limits can enhance our, our lives and our ability to problem solve. Yeah, it's a, the, I'm from Holland. There's a German saying that says, uh, in der Beschränkung zeigt sich erst der Meister. So in, <laughs> which you might translate, in the, in the limitation, mastery becomes visible. You know, you need, a, you need a limit, you need um, a fence, you need uh, the impossible to explore the possible within this field. So. Uh, accepting that you can change things makes you more creative. But, but let me give you an example to uh, illustrate this. In the um, Indiana Jones uh, film Raiders of the Lost Ark, with uh, Harrison Ford featuring as the, the leading role, uh, there was this uh, the, this uh, shooting planned with sword fights, you know, a crowd, and uh, Harrison Ford would with his sword and fight the enemy. And uh, so, so classic scene in such a movies. And they had been rehearsing for this scene for three weeks in America. But uh, the shootings were in Tunisia, and on the on the day these shootings were planned with this uh, sword fight uh, scene, Harrison Ford suffered a massive attack of diarrhea. So he wouldn't he couldn't step one foot before the other. The other. He, he, so the the shootings as planned couldn't take place at all. So this is a problem. So how could you solve the problem? You know, by rearranging the schedule or trying to find a stand-in to do so or whatever. Just uh, just all things you could do to create the movie as planned this is what you might call solving the problem uh, mm. so problem solved nothing wrong nothing wrong with it but what harrison ford did was he accepted his limitation but he did something with this limitation so he wasn't able to fight but he was able to do something else and this is what he proposed to steven spielberg the director of the movie he said what if i just shoot the bastard and Harris, uh, Steven Spielberg, he agreed. So, okay, let's try to film the scene this way. Uh, so there's this sword fight, and the, the man is, uh, um, um, you know, waving his uh, sword around, and uh, he wants to start a fight. And Harris Ford just sighs. You know, actually, I think he wants to go to the toilet, but he just sighs. <laughs> he, uh, he pulls his gun and he shoots him. So end of scene. The scene lasts only for five, six seconds. Very short scene in the movie Indiana Jones, Raiders of Lost Ark. So. Uh, the funny thing is, the nice thing is, this movie has become so iconic because of this iconic scene. Because nobody, nobody, uh, as a spectator, expects Harrison Ford to just shoot him. He's, they all expect him to have a fair fight with swords. So this scene wouldn't be there if Harrison Ford wouldn't have uh, suffered a loss attack of diarrhea and make something out of it. So accept things and. And uh, like you said, make plan B, plan C, plan D. This is what you do in life. And this is what mm -hmm. this is. This has been SFA investigated. This is what optimistic people tend to do. This is what pessimistic people do. This has been investigated by um, and, um, Swedish um, scientist, Seger Ström, uh, her name is. And she found out that what is the, what is the strategy of pessimistic people? They don't have plans. 
the life just comes and they say, oh, it rains. Oh, I get fired. I didn't expect that. So they just live on and everything that happens is a kind of surprise. And of course, a lot of bad things happen. This is a strategy of pessimistic people. And they're surprised continuously by disadvantages. What do optimistic people do? They expect the worst, which is counterintuitive because how can optimistic people expect the worst? But they expect yeah. the worst. They make plans for the worst. Like what you said at the beginning of this interview, they have plan B, plan C, plan D, plan E. The worst often doesn't happen in life. Well, w bad things can happen, but the worst doesn't mm -hmm. happen. So what does an optimistic people, what do optimistic people then say? Well, it isn't that bad at all. I have made a plan for this. Nothing wrong with that. So, but this is nice, right? That pessimistic people mm -hmm. don't have plans and that optimistic people expect the worst. I find yeah. this counterintuitive, but this is how it works. And I think, I, I presume you recognize this in your life, right? I really, I really do. That's why I'm nodding my head furiously because actually what you described, actually you described my mother and me. So growing up, my mother is a very, um, I'd say pessimistic person. She was somebody who always said she had a lot of problems in her life. Mm -hmm. She didn't really enjoy her life. She didn't enjoy her work. She didn't really enjoy motherhood. She didn't enjoy relationships. She didn't enjoy anything. Yeah. So uh, her story every day was that the world is difficult. You know, like you said, if the weather's bad, oh, it's always bad. Yeah. If something happened with the car, oh, you know, of course oh, this happened to me. Course. You know, this was, of course this would happen By to me. By the way, you are car. describing my mother too, right? If I may okay. intervene, <laughs> okay. right? Yeah. 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 So she couldn't, you know, we can't afford to do that or this is too expensive or you can't, you can't, you can't. So I think when you grow up in that environment, especially as an older sibling, uh -huh. I always as a counter. You were the oldest one. Eldest, yeah. Eldest, sorry, eldest. Yes, yes. <laughs> so as a counter to that, I think I almost was the polar opposite. I had to think, come on, there has to be, you know, like you said, okay, option B, C, D. If the worst thing happens, even the worst thing, right? we still have to do something. So let's do this or let's do this and or let's, let's do and this. And let's be prepared. Let's be prepared. Yes, yeah. yes. Expect and so I think to happen, yeah. Expect it, but then also don't surrender to, well, that's it. I always said, well, if that's the bad thing's going to happen, what do we do next? Right. Because we have to do something. And make a plan so for, in advantage. Yep. Expect and I think bad things to happen. Right. Expect it. Yeah. And it's funny, as you said, I'm an optimist, but to expect bad things to happen doesn't sound optimistic. But I think for myself and my younger siblings growing up from a very young age, I was that person who said, okay, we're going to make a plan and we need to have a backup plan. And then even now as an adult, I think if you were to look at, you know, the way I, I live my life or things maybe that I choose to do, or even savings, things where it's like, you know, save for a rainy day because something bad could happen. Right. But I don't think that it will. But if it did, it would be fine. Yeah. You know, everything would be fine. And so it will it is, be not that bad as it could be. It will be not that yeah. bad. Yeah. But yeah. the funny thing, my mother, I started uh, uh, with yes, but not with flip thinking or omnink. I started with yes, but. And uh, my mother was, my mother was yes, but. This was her life attitude, everything. Yes, but. And um, I don't know if it's the same uh, like you. Uh, in your life, um, I have found a strategy in a way to deal with my mother. You know, she was a negative example, and um, um, I investigated how would it be to say yes and to life, which is the opposite of yes, but uh, of course. So this is where it all started. Uh, thanks to my mother, I was forced to be optimistic. I didn't have a choice yeah. actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same because I had to, and I think it's funny because now I see it playing out in my daily life. Sometimes probably a bit annoying for people who are beside me. For example, recently when I was flying back from Italy with my husband to the UK, we had an evening flight, 
and we were traveling without our children um, the week before, because we have we have a blended family with three children. So the week before we'd had three children with us. And of course that means you've got, you know, backpacks and you've got uh, books and snacks and things and you need to play games and entertain them. And I someone know. needs the toilet, yep. all of these things. So this week it was just me and my husband, uh, no children. Uh, and we're coming back from Italy mm-hmm. and the flight is delayed. Yeah. And I said, oh, it doesn't matter because, you know, it's just us two. So we can just relax. More time. And then... More time. So yeah, so it's it was eight PM. Then the flight says nine PM. Then the flight says ten PM. Okay. And we're sitting and sitting, sitting. Eventually, we did get on the flight, but by the time we get back to the UK, you know, it's one o'clock in the morning and it's late and things are closed and we're tired and we're in London. And I think it's probably annoying if you're with me and somebody wants to complain. Oh, this is so annoying. Oh, this is you know, and I'm always the person. But it's fine. We can just yeah. you know, we can have a drink. We can just sit and here, relax. I'm yeah, going to listen to a that's podcast. That's annoying. You are really. It's annoying. annoying. You are. Yeah, you are. <laughs> It's yeah. annoying. It's annoying. Yeah. It's annoying, it but I'm also like, what makes the situation worse? If you sit there, you get mad. This is so, you know, the flight's delayed. You, I'm going to be it annoyed. Help I'm it doesn't help because when the flight's delayed, it's delayed. Dot. Nothing you can worse. do about it. Yeah. Exactly. So, what so I, yeah, I have a life rule which really helps in these situations. It's called ISP. It sucks, period. It sucks, <laughs> period. So, yeah. but this is, there's a big difference between letting go. Uh, a problem and observing that you have a problem and you cannot do anything about you. Uh, Omnink flipping is not about being optimistic and always make something out of life because if your husband or one of your children would die, this would be terrible. And this day, you wouldn't be optimistic. You would be mm. very sad, and which would be a very normal emotional response to a tragic. You know? But what really helps in these situations is not forcing yourself to let go and just carry on life and be optimistic. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You can't mm-hmm. solve. You, when somebody dies, you can solve this problem. It's a little bit too big. You know, we can revive people um, until now. Uh, so what helps is the life rule. It sucks, period. And I mean with sucks, period. What I mean with this is it really hurts. It is really a problem. You are able to tell people uh, how much pain you feel. Nothing wrong with that. But then... Period. Don't make a problem out of the fact that you have a problem. You have a problem mm-hmm. and this is big a problem enough. And what a lot of people do is what I call frustration on frustration. So they have a problem, but then they make a problem out of the fact that they have a problem. And then if they, they want to, then they then they, um, they think they have to let go of this and they are not able to let go, then they want to solve mm-hmm. it. So it's all more pro- frustration on frustration on frustration on frustration. And why is this happening so often in life? Because the original problem can be solved at all. You know, it, when it rains, it rains. When somebody dies, somebody dies. So you cannot change reality. But what you do, what you are able to change is how you deal with reality. And mm. so what helps is admitting the pain, uh, embracing the fact that you really have a painful problem, but then it sucks, period. Don't yeah. make a problem out of the fact that you have a problem because we all have problems. And in the end, we all will die. So that's the biggest problem we all have to face. Yeah, true. And then you are free, right? And then you, in, the, in a moment you can say it's sucks, period. Then you are free. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
And that's the mindset piece. Again, we started at the top of the conversation. I talked about, you know, the time of the year and, you know, I, I suppose cultivating a, a mindset where you think, okay, what do I want to do? How am I going to approach it? You know, what what barriers am I going to face? Let's let's look at it and let's take action. Let's actually do something. Right. Now, a lot of people, and myself included, I'm human, Okay. We struggle with self. I'm surprised. Yeah, it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we struggle with, I think when I ask these questions, I never want to describe, oh, people this and people that. I am people, you know? Yeah. So when we suffer with negative self-talk, self-doubt, which for so many people keeps them stuck, it stops them taking action because maybe I can't do it yet. Maybe I haven't learned enough yet. Maybe I don't have the right expertise or the right people yet. You know, I'll do it one day. But the self-doubt and the self-talk, I think, holds people back for so long. So if, if people want to take action if they know that self-doubt and self negative self-talk is holding them back what advice would you give them well uh what we all uh, tend to do is to underestimate how resilient we are we are capable of overcoming disadvantages or problems or hindrances and uh, we underestimate our capacity to deal with things so yeah we are afraid uh, we all are and um, so what helps is knowing that when you do things you are afraid of in in the um in the process you will learn you will develop you will overcome problems and we underestimate our capacity to learn during the process and this is one thing that might help you the other thing that might help you is we all make mistakes things go wrong we get bankrupt uh, a marriage might fail if you are afraid for th if you are afraid that something might go wrong, the best thing to do is just stay in your home and do nothing. Because doing nothing, then nothing can go wrong. Um, but things will go wrong. So accept this. Mm. Things will go wrong. There's this nice story about a Romanian guy uh, who uh, he thought by astrology, who, he, he could predict the day he would die. So in this specific day, he stayed in his bedroom. So what happened was that part of his ceiling came down and he died because he wanted to <laughs> escape that. Death overcame him. So we all will die. We all make mistakes. Bad things will happen. Just take a deep breath. Be prepared. Have plan B, C, D ready for you and just dive into it. Dive into it. And, you know, yeah, this sounds maybe a little bit harsh, but in the end, we will all die. So what do we have to lose? Just start living instead of avoiding death. Mm. Yeah, you've mentioned this a few times, you know, in the end, we're all, we're all going to die. Yeah. And it's, do I it's, say it too I, often or... A, no, it's just interesting that you would say that. And we're having this conversation this week because somebody in my family actually died uh, two days ago. Yeah. And it's the first time that my son, who is 12 now, has experienced this in his life. Yeah. So as you're saying it, you know, I'm obviously as a mother, you know, you're trying to help them navigate grief for the first time, trying to help them and help him help him understand you know he's really hurting he's upset he's angry he's feeling all these different emotions and you know i'm trying to navigate that with him and mm. say it's okay to feel angry it's okay to cry it's yep. okay to feel frustration right. but then as you say it's quite pragmatic you know we all must experience this in life to accept that you know he can't come back or you know it's the first time and i know you know 12 years old is different to maybe adults but it's just interesting you know like you said a few times you said it will people will die and we're yep. all going to die and i think <laughs> I don't know, making him understand that living your life, as you said, you know, living now, doing all the things, you know, um, the person I'm talking about, you know, they had they had a, a joyful life um, and maybe, yeah, I don't know, really. It was just timely that you said that. And I've been talking a lot in the last two days to mm. him about death yeah. for the first time. But was it about a young person who died? No, no, it wasn't. It was his grandfather. But he loved his grandfather, his... I presume, right? 
so much so much so so much and he's never like i said experienced anything like this before and yeah it's just a hard week you know it's hard to to see that to see him in to see your child in such pain right yeah so what helps is uh this is a neighbor a woman she uh she lost her man uh her husband um uh suddenly from one day to another so her life was a mess and um after more than 40 years of marriage from one day to the other what 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 helped her was that a friend of her said to her it hurts so much this hurts so much this pain won't go the rest of your life it won't go and mm. she said to me this was the most terrifying message um, somebody gave me in all these times but when i really let this message sink in and feel what it meant to me i uh, could see she was right it hurt it hurt so much that fighting the pain was the problem and accepting just the pain was the uh, liberation. Um, and after that, she said, when I felt pain, I uh, just sat in the chair, I sit in the chair, I start crying, I feel sad. And in the same time, I feel unbelievably happy. And for me, I think being able to be happy and feel pain in the same time and that one of them, one of them is not fighting the other, but they, they can they can exist in the same time. This is liberation because your son has a lot of pain because he loved his grandfather. So the more he loved him, the more pain he will feel. So the liberating um, idea for him might be if if he needs to be liberated, of course, because he can feel pain. But that to embrace the pain as the corn, the, the, the flip side of the love he felt. How strange would it be if he did not feel pain? It's a very loving response to a, to a tragedy. Mm. Nothing yeah, wrong with him. Exactly. Just compliment him for being sad, you might say. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And it yeah. is a difficult thing for, for anyone who's experiencing that. And I read something this week as I've been trying to find, you know, resources and things for me to, to think about that talked about this pain of grief as um, talked about, you know, if you think about physical pain on your body, if you had a big cut on your arm mm. and the cut initially, this wound is there and it's a different kind of pain and it's raw and you can't touch it and it's bleeding. And it basically said that over time, obviously as the skin heals and the flesh heals, you have this scar. Yep. Now the scar is there forever. It will never leave. So you, it will never go, but it's not a raw wound anymore that is this raw pain. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was also quite interesting to to know that you might have this feeling, like he said with the example of the, the woman or with my son, you might have this scar to remember actually that pain of missing your grandfather or missing your, your partner forever. And, and it is hard to think, but it's also nice to know it's gonna change, the pain's gonna change, it's gonna heal in some way, but it's never gonna go, it will always be there. And I think how nice could it be if you would reframe the scarf and the pain as a sign of love? Mm. It's a sign of love. Yeah. And the worst thing you can do if there's a wound and if it's healing is to, you know, how, how, do, you, how do you say this in English? If you, if you want to intervene with the process and, um, you know these things that are you know on, i don't know the english word i mean I'm oh, like a scab is it a the scab, scab we you call know, it. just yeah. little uh, dark red things that develop on your skin too <laughs> i'm looking for a very simple word what's what's the word course the word in english is a scab okay. it's a not very nice word a scab so the thing like you said if it heals and you if you take it off it's gonna have to start again right so uh, and this is what we all tend to do we want to speed the process by putting this mm -hmm. away but by putting it away, the natural healing process will be um, uh, pre prevented. We will just just wait and do nothing. Just do nothing. 
things heal out of themselves. This is I've in the book, the flip thinking book. I have fifteen strategies. One of the strategy, the strategies, strategies is the strategy of waiting. Do nothing in life. We tend, we have an, this basic idea that if we want to change reality, we have to do things. But if we want to change reality, we can also do purposely nothing and just wait and see, because things might change in their advantage. And if they do so by intervening, we're intervening this process. So doing nothing, which the Chinese uh, um, describe this as Wu Wai, Wu Wai. It's a Chinese saying, doing by not doing. And this mm. is uh, something in the West, in our society, is very difficult. We have this basic idea, like I said, if you want to change reality, do something. So if you yeah. want to change reality, do nothing. This is something we just, we are unfamiliar with. Yeah. Doing nothing. Is but it's a conscious, what you're describing is conscious choice to do nothing. Right, right. As opposed to people think, oh, if I do nothing, of course I have to choose. But a conscious choice to do nothing is saying, I am going to do nothing and I'm going to just wait and see. Right. And right. let, as and you which, said, let which things Which is a very, things, very things active, uh, uh, active way of, of dealing with reality. Consciously doing nothing mm. and being aware of that you are doing this. Yeah, it's not passive. No. I find that incredibly difficult. Even the yep. word patience, I feel like even the word patience, I'm like, I don't have patience. I, I know it's something I would always try patient, to do. The word patient makes you impatient immediately. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I know it's something that I should try and I will continue to probably but my you, but, whole life. But you know, you're, you're trained for a marathon, right? Uh, for long mm -hmm. running. This is what I, yep. I've listened to some of your podcasts and uh, very yep. nice, by the way. But um, you know this because when you are training, your body needs rest to grow, to develop. So in the sleep, in sleeping, your body is becoming stronger. So you know by training that doing nothing makes you better. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. But doing this in real life is important. This is difficult too. I know. I know. Yeah. It's a bit difficult, but I think, um, I don't want to speak too soon, but in some areas of my life, I think I'm perhaps finally getting better at saying, okay. Ah, oh, you're still young, wait. right? How old are you, if I may ask so? I'm 35. Oh, a lot of years to go to become more yes. patient. Yeah. Yes, I yeah. hope so. Well, I, oh my gosh, I love this conversation. I really didn't expect, in all honesty, to be, yeah, to share so much, especially with the the, the death of the, in the family this uh, week. But yeah. I just, enjoyed, yeah, this conversation kind of just, it came to be. So my final part of the show, I always talk to my guests about the power hour, mm -hmm. of course, mm -hmm. about the first hour of each day, why they do what they do, yeah. what time do people wake up? Is there something that they have this special routine or is it that you do nothing? You just wake <laughs> up and do it. So, so yes, but hold, could you tell us yeah. what does the first hour, your power hour typically include well, each day? I've been thinking about this question uh, in preparation of uh, this, po this podcast. I have uh, uh, an evening routine and my evening routine is that um, I look back at the day um, that has gone, but I'm looking forward to the day that um, that is there. So in the evening, I'm contemplating about the next day, um, uh, what things um, make uh, gives me joy, pleasure, fun, energy, and what things are just irritating things that have to be done, like uh, mowing the grass or whatever things that has to be, uh, or paying the bills. Or so the the night before, I make a vision of the next day, and I take care. I take care that before I get to sleep, I really enjoy the next day. And I think this is what I dream about. This is what my brain unconsciously is um, uh, working on. So the next day I'm getting up, I, I'm just awake and uh, the lights turn on and uh, I'm uh, energetic and start the day. So I, mm. I can just start by contemplating about uh, the day the day before. 
Mm. Yeah. yeah. No, it makes complete sense because you're not waking up thinking, "What do I have to do first? No. What do I have to? You've already, you've already made, you've already made the plan, yeah. and you're ready to, ready to go." I'm excited or um, just um, motivated to do to do the things you have to do. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And you mentioned in this episode your age. Can you tell us again how old you are? Sixty-four, which is a. Uh, uh, the reason I ask yeah. you, the reason I ask you, is because you just mentioned then you have motivation in the morning to do the things. Yeah. You have the energy. You're vibrant. You. What, why do you think, or what advice I suppose would you give? You're somebody who is 64. Okay. You still have energy and motivation for new yeah. things in life. I have. Uh, I think uh, be like a mule. You know, mules, when you, you know, a mule, when you want a mm. mule to go to the left, what does a mule day do? It stays on its place or it goes to the right. Mules don't <laughs> cooperate. So I think I'm in a way like a mule, a mule in my whole life. And this is what my father told me in my whole life. Um, when I did things I didn't want to do, I always knew I didn't want to do them. And so a lot of things you have to do. I, I had to go to school like everybody else, but I hated school. I really hated it. Not because school was in itself annoying. It was annoying. But later on, I found out that during the times I was obliged to sit on a chair and listen to somebody else, I did not have time to develop my own life. So school prevented me from living my own life. This is what I only found out later so i hated school not because i had to do things but i couldn't do other things so my father had taught me and this is a lesson i always kept with me um it's all about what you really want in life and if you don't want to do something just don't do it don't do it so during my career i have uh, i work with homeless people i work with children uh, run away from their parents i've done a lot of volunteer work um, and uh, during 20 years of my life i was uh, quite poor uh, didn't have that much money, but it was just fine. I didn't need a car. I could drive a bicycle or just go walking. So money was not that big a topic in my life. It always was about what do I want to do? You know, what do I want to do? And as soon as I experienced myself in a situation where I don't want to do something anymore, I just quit. I just quit. I, I'm not. I'm. The, the only the only important question is what makes me happy. What makes me tick? And if you know something doesn't make you happy anymore, just stop it investigate it and just stop it and a lot of people are living on a kind of automatic pilot because this is how life is this is what you should do but if you dare to look at what you really want and if you are a little bit brave because you need a little bit bravery to make bold decisions um, uh, but if you focus on what you want inspect, instead of what is expected of you um, then you carry your career like my career did it, it's con continuously moving and new things are coming up and all things are, um, are uh, I end all things I didn't like but this is my um, yeah this is my lifeline you might say uh, to stay uh, young and feel energetic and um, you don't have to do anything in life it's about what you want to do Wow, inspiring. What a great place thank to end you. the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for being here. It was a bit... How was my English? Was it okay enough? Fat, much better than my Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for the compliment. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. As always, I appreciate it. And I will be back next week with another episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.